Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Today we're kicking off a new series, uh, sermon series called Standing on the Promises. And uh, when I was growing up, there was a, a hymn I really enjoyed singing. It was called Standing on the Promises of God. How many remember that, uh, that hymn? Standing on the promises of God. We're gonna, I'm going to try to sing it, all right, and, and lead us in that uh, a cappella style today. So we'll, we'll see how that goes in just a moment. But I want to give you some background. I love to sometimes read up on some of the background on how some of these songs that we love so much came about and what was happening. The song was written by Russell Kelso Carter and published in 1886. That's how old this song is, 1886. Growing up, it was said that Carter was an athlete and that he was a top student. But in, at age 15, at the Pennsylvania Military Academy, he surrendered his life to Christ. Later on, he would come back to that military academy where he was a teacher and also an athletic coach and, and began to... Uh, to, to just take the talent and take the, what he had and be able to pour into others. But around the age of 30, he started to experience uh, some challenges in his health. And he also had some challenges in his faith. You see, as an athlete, uh, you, you can just do anything. But all of a sudden, he was diagnosed with a heart condition. And at that point, they weren't able to completely diagnose. All they could tell him was, you know what? You need to be careful. At any moment, you could die. At any moment, you could have a heart attack. At any moment, something can happen. You need to be careful. And that brought a challenge to his faith. How was he going to live? And Connie Ruth Christensen, as she writes about his life, writes this. He knelt and made a promise that healing or not, his life was finally and forever consecrated to the service of the Lord. In other words, what he said is, is I don't know if I'm going to be healed. I don't know if I'm not. I don't know what God's plan is, but here it is. I'm giving myself over to the Lord. I'm offering myself up to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to simply trust in his word. Christensen went on to say that from that moment on, Scripture took on new life for Carter, and he began to lean on the promises that he found in the Bible. He committed himself to believe whether or not God granted him healing, he was going to believe. God chose to heal him, though. Carter ended up living for 49 years, and so God worked in his life as he stood on the promises of God. Later on, he did experience health issues that, uh, again, the Lord did not choose to heal him from, but at the end, Carter came to the conclusion that healing was God's choice to make, and that God also chose instruments through which that healing, if granted, would come. And he penned this hymn alongside evangelist A.B. Simpson. And he penned this hymn, this great hymn that was a personal testimony to his faith, standing on the promises, standing on the promises, standing on the promises of God. And it kind of goes a little like this, and if you know it, you can try to sing along, and again, I'm going to do my best to do this without any accompaniment here. Um, Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, 
Standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Right? Isn't that good? Right? To remind us. I meant the song was good. My singing was not. I want to read just a few of the other stanzas. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. How many know sometimes it's more the fear than it is the situation? Sometimes it's the unknown. Sometimes it's, it's, it's what may be out there than it is about what we actually are going through. By the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises, I now can sing. See, I'm sorry, perfect, present, cleansing in the blood for me. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord. Bound to him eternally by love's strong cord. Overcoming daily with the spirit's sword. Standing on the promises of God. Finally, standing on the promises, I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, I'm standing on the promises of God. Amen? You know, throughout the Bible, the words promise or promises are actually used over a thousand times. The English translation of Scripture kind of uh, has that, and one scholar did a study, and he counted over 8,000 different promises of God in the Bible. Over 8,000 different kinds of promises. The Bible tells us that God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. Amen? He makes promises in the Bible to literally everybody. In fact, let me just share with you just a few. Isaiah 46, 11, this is about the promises of God. He says that, that God says this in Isaiah 46, 11 in this prophecy, what I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. The Lord said in Isaiah 14, 24, the Lord of hosts have sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. God means business, doesn't he? This is what he says about his promise. This is what David wrote in Psalm 119, that wonderful psalm about loving God's word and his precepts. In verse 140, he says, David writes this, your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. Thoroughly tested. I, I would say that the promises of God are like a, a divine insurance plan, an insurance policy. You know, when you know what's covered, in an insurance policy, you know what's covered. If there happens to be an accident or you happen to have something in your health, you don't have to have anxiety about how it's going to get paid for or what's going to happen. If you know what's in the policy, you know that it's covered. The problem is when you don't know what's in the policy, when you don't know what is there and you don't know what's covered, it brings about all kinds of anxiety and all kinds of worry and all kinds of things that we can fret about. And so in, in this series, what I want to unpack for you, and we're not going to get through all 8,000, but we want to unpack for you some of the promises that are in Scripture so that you can say, I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be worried. I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to think, well, what's going to happen? about that because I know who's got it covered because I know the promises of God and I know what's covered the question is or the problem is I think that many of us forget what's covered we get anxious and we get worried and we start to fret and we go oh I don't know 
we start to sin and man, I get the guilt and the shame and I don't know. But when you know the promise of forgiveness, you don't have to fret. You can begin to rely on the promises of God and the forgiveness that is found in Christ Jesus. When you begin to know the promises that are in God's word for you financially and the promises of how God will take care of you and God will watch over you and God will provide for you. When circumstances and situations and things come, you say, oh, I'm going to fret. No, I don't have to fret because I know who's got it covered. When you begin to experience things physically and you begin to struggle, you can begin to look at the promises of God and you begin to say, I don't have to worry because I know who's got it covered. It's the promises of God. So I want to begin by talking about three fundamental facts about the promises of God because I think we got to know the facts. I think we got to know some foundation. Before we begin to unpack over the next couple of weeks some of the promises of God that we're going to look at, we got to know some of the fundamental foundational facts that are found about the promises of God. The first one is this. God's promises are based on his character and his ability. His character and his ability. How many of you know that the promises are only as good as the promise maker? The promises are only as good as the promise maker. We live in a world today where all kinds of people make all kinds of promises that they can never fulfill. Sometimes they can't fulfill it because they have character issues and they talk about these things that they promise to do, but they're kin, their character. There's no way that they're going to ever carry, carry that out because they're not trustworthy. You know what I'm talking about? Others really have good intentions. They want to carry it out. They just lack the ability to do so. In fact, in 1994, a 67-year-old carpenter by the name of uh, Russell Herman died in Marion, Illinois. In his last will and testament, he bequeathed the following. $2.4 billion to the town of Cave-In Rock. $2.4 billion to the city of East St. Louis, $1.5 billion to the projects in southeastern Illinois and in an unprecedented act of generosity. If that was not enough, he left $6 trillion to the Federal Reserve to pay off the national debt. Here's the problem. At the time of his death in 1994, the only thing that Mr. Herman actually owned was a beat-up old 1983 Olds Tornado. He didn't have anything of monetary value. He had all of these promises, all of these good intentions, but he did not have the ability to be able to carry out what he promised. And there are many that wonder if God does. There are many that question the character of God and that question the ability of God. And so what I want to take a look at here is to remind ourselves that, that God, the God that is in Scripture, the promise maker, what it is about him that allows us to be able to say, oh, his promises are sure. Oh, his promises, as Paul wrote in Corinthians, are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. What do we have? What lets us know that? Well, first of all, God is absolutely trustworthy. His character, he is absolutely trustworthy. In a world of broken promises, I want to let you know God can be trusted. How do I know that? Well, number one, he's truthful. In the introduction of the letter that Paul wrote to Titus, he said, in the hope of eternal life, which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time. Let me tell you something. God does not lie. It is not in his nature to lie. 
In fact, when Jesus declared something about himself using an I am statement, and how do you remember back in, in the Old Testament, Moses said to God before he went, he's around the burning bush, he said, who should I say sent me when he was going to Egypt and going to speak to Pharaoh? Who should I say sent me? God said, I am that I am. I am. You don't need to know anything else. I am. I am. Right? And later on, Jesus using I am statements got the Pharisees and the religious people. He got them all like wired. Whoa! He said, what? He said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Why? Because truth is his very essence. You cannot deny. God cannot lie. Otherwise, he would not be holy. Otherwise, in him, it's not in his character. It's not in his essence. It's not in his nature to lie. Therefore, when God says he's going to do something, you can count on it. He's going to do it. He's trustworthy. And he's truthful. He always tells the truth. He's faithful. Number two, he's faithful. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope, to the hope we profess. How can we hold unswervingly? How can we hold on to this hope? Well, it says this, for he who promised is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. Friends, how many of you know that even when we are faithless, he is faithful? He is faithful. He, he doesn't break a promise. Our Christian theology will fall, will fall to the ground. It'll fall to pieces if God breaks a promise. If God is not faithful to his promises, then everything we believe is a sham. Everything we believe falls apart. But God has never failed to keep his word. He's not failed to keep his word in the past. He's not failed to keep his word in the present. And he will not be failing to keep his word in the future. However, we must remember God doesn't do it on our time, does he? He doesn't do it according to our schedule, does he? You know, he didn't do it throughout Scripture according to the schedule. Sometimes we just don't understand his schedule. Sometimes we just don't understand his timing. We might think that he's not bringing to pass what he has promised, but that is not true. God is faithful. God is faithful. He's immutable. What does immutable mean? He never changes. God doesn't change. He's not like us where one moment we're all in and I make that promise and, oh, I love you. Oh, I'm just, I, you, are, you are my best. Oh, will you marry me? Oh, you're the best. Oh, and then down the road, oh, I don't like you anymore. What's wrong with you? You don't, you never left out. Who is this person I married? I don't know who they are. That's not the person I dated. What happened to them? They changed. How I many of you know we change, don't we? God doesn't change. God doesn't change. Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Thank you, Jesus, right? We don't have to worry. He's going to alter his promise. If conditions are attached, it may seem like he had a change of heart, but the truth is we just might not have met the requirements. He's a God of love. His promises are always based on, on our best interests. We don't always understand that, but his promises are about our best interests. 1 John 4, 7 to 10, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. How do we know that? Well, the answer is, this is how we know. This is, how God, this is how God showed his love among us. This is how we know. How, how do we know? This is how he showed it. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the ultimate proof. Way back when Adam and Eve had sinned, and we talked about that uh, last week, when Adam and Eve had sinned and when they had blown it, God made a promise to them that he was going to send a son born of a woman, that he was going to send a seed, and that seed was going to crush the head of the enemy. And he did it. He fulfilled it. Everything that he did, every promise he made, every prophecy that pointed to it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He did what he said he was going to do. He does not change. He did not change. Why did he do that? Because he loved us. Not that we loved him. In fact, we were anything but loving him. But he loved us anyway. We were anything but faithful to his promises. We were anything but able to be able to obey his commandments and do what he said. And yet he did not cast us aside. But rather, he fulfilled his promise that he said he would do. And why? Because of love. The ultimate proof that God is love is Jesus Christ. How he died for our sins. He said he would and he did. If he loved us enough to keep that promise, we have no reason to doubt him on any others. Secondly, not only is God trustworthy, but God has the ability to fulfill what he has promised. Again, going back to that illustration of Russell Herman, he had good intentions of paying off a national debt, good intentions of helping those local communities, but he did not have the means or the ability to do so. And when we look at the promises of God, we have to ask, well, that's great that God has great plans, but does God have the ability to do so? And I am here today to tell you he is a powerful God, and he is able to fulfill his promises. How do we know that? Well, Scripture tells us, number one, he's omniscient. He's omniscient. What does that mean? He is all-knowing. Psalm 139.4, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. That can be encouraging and scary. Isaiah 40, 28, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. God is all-knowing. That means that he knows what's going on in your situation and circumstance as well as he knows what's going on uh, in a greater situation and circumstance. And he knows where your situation and circumstance fits into a greater plan. He is all-knowing. He knows what's happening. He knows the pain that you face. He knows every hair on your head. He knows everything about you. He collects your tears in a bottle. He knows. He is all-knowing, and he knows your future. He knows his plans for you. He knows every weakness that you have, and he loves you anyway. He is all-knowing. He is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. What does that mean? (laughs) It means he's everywhere present. He's everywhere. Hebrews 13, 5 reminds us the Lord does not leave us nor forsake us. He is everywhere present. No matter what we're going through, he'll never leave us. He will not forsake us. His continual presence guarantees the fulfillment of every promise that he makes. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He has all power. That's really important when you're talking about does he have the ability to be able to fulfill what he's promised. The Bible tells us that he has all power. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. He is sovereign. Sovereign over heaven and earth and there is nothing that he cannot do. There is nothing that he cannot do. In fact, he upholds us by the word of his power. That's what scripture says. 
He upholds us by the word of his power. He has absolutely power and absolute authority. And Jeremiah 32, 17 reminds us, Ah, Lord God, it is you that has made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm. And this is how he ends it. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is too difficult for you. Some of you need to remind yourself of that. You say, but Lord, what about this circumstance? Here's what you need to say, but nothing is too difficult for you. This situation, this mountain, nothing is too difficult for you. This is too difficult for me, but Lord, nothing is too difficult for you. God has all power. God is trustworthy, and he has the ability to bring about what he has promised. Evangelist D.L. Moody once said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. There's another quote, anonymous. I don't know who, who made the statement. I came across it as I was studying for this message, but I love it. God never overpromises and never underdelivers. Man, God will always do what he says he can do. Friends, you can count on that. Or in some language, you can take it to the bank, right? <laughs> I know we're not in the age where there's checks anymore, but, you know, when people write checks, they're writing basically a promise. When they write a check, it's a promise. They're saying, hey, I'm going to give you this because I've got money in the account to back it up. So if you go and you take this check, then it's going to be good. It's gonna, the bank's going to say, yep, it's good on this promise. This promise that you signed your name to is good. Let me tell you something. When it comes to the promises of God, you can take it to the bank. You can take it to the bank. It's not going to bounce. His promises are not going to bounce. Secondly, God makes two kinds of promises in Scripture. This is the foundational things. God makes two kinds of promises. He makes unconditional promises and conditional promises. Let's look at unconditional promises for a moment. Unconditional, no strings attached. No matter what you do, when God promises something unconditionally, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, in the Old Testament, there's several examples of unconditional promises, several examples that we see. But one of the ones that I want to look at when we take a look at these covenants, we call them covenants, and I don't have time to show all of it, so I just want to do some of the highlights. The first promise, one of the ones that, that I see that is made, and a great example is Abraham. How many know Abraham? In fact, in Genesis chapter 12, we're going to look at he was Abram right there. His name hadn't changed. He was Abram. And it says this in verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Listen to this promise, To your offspring I'm going to give this land. There are no conditions. There are no conditions. There are no conditions. God tells Abraham, listen, I'm going to give this land. I'm going to give it to your offspring. He, he's not asking him. It's not based on his descendants' behavior. It's not based on something that they do. It was something that God promised to do. And, but notice he doesn't give him a timetable. Just a promise. Sometimes there's not a timetable. There's just a promise. And God makes the same promise to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26 and Jacob in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 12. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I give to you and I will give this land to your offspring after you. Again, this was an unconditional promise that God says regardless of you, I will fulfill. I will do this. Problem is this land had other nations. There were other nations, there were other people groups that lived in this land. They had inhabited the land. And God said, I'm going to give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's a purpose that God was absolutely committed to. But it was going to be in his time that it would be executed. He was going to be the one who was going to be it. Nothing was going to stand in the way. But as time passes, a famine 
force Jacob's family out of out of the land of Canaan. So how, God, how are you going to do this? There's a famine in the land. And all of a sudden, these circumstances, one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, thrown into a pit. And you know the story. He ends up in Egypt as a slave, and then he's in jail for something he did not do. And then through it all, through interpreting, all of a sudden, he's second in command, interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and it's like, whoa, there's going to be a famine, so let's store up seven years, and then we're going to have seven years later. And so when there's this famine in the land, all of a sudden, this family is moving to Egypt and there they are in Egypt now they're being taken care of they're being sustained this is a part of the promise of God but they're no longer in the land that God promised God how are you going to do this and to make matters worse when that Pharaoh died he did not remember Joseph he did not remember any of those good things and all of a sudden he said who is this people group that's in here they're not like us you know what they're getting kind of big they may overpower us we need to make them slaves and so for 400 years 400 years, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are now not in the land of Canaan, but rather they are enslaved in Egypt. God, have you forgotten your promise? Wait a minute, God, you said you were going to do something. How come we haven't seen it yet? You said to your offspring, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm going to give you this land, but now we are slaves in a foreign land. How is this going to happen? God had not forgotten his promise. He had not forgotten his promise. He raised up a deliverer by the name of Moses. Plague after plague by what? By whose power? Was it by their power? Were they suddenly some, they were able to form some military coup and and get themselves out of their slavery? No. They couldn't do it. It was not by their might. It was not by their power. It was not by horses. It was not by chariots. It was by the power of God. And in signs and wonders and demonstrations of God, God delivered them mightily out of Egypt, brought them to the Red Sea, and began, I've read my devotions this morning, by the blood, blowing of his, his breath. You see that in, in Miriam's song. Held the waters of the Red Sea back. Set his people free. Destroyed their enemies. Did they do anything? You know what they did? Oh, Moses, why'd you come and make our lives more miserable? Even after they're out and they're in the wilderness, we have no water, we have no food, we're grumbling and complaining, and God's going, oh my goodness, okay, we got some work to do. I got to teach these people that I'm trustworthy. And in the wilderness, he began to teach them that he's trustworthy. And he began to provide for them manna from heaven to eat. And he began to lead them to places of water where they could drink. And then he began to take them to a mountain where he could display his power and his presence and give them his law where he can turn this family of slaves into a nation where he would be the king, where he would be the king, and where they could could worship him. But you know what? They did not trust him. And so a little bit of time passes and Moses has gone up the mountain for a little bit of time. Something must have happened to that guy. Oh, let's make a golden calf and worship that and call it God. Oh, wait a minute. That's what's happening in Egypt. Oh, we got some work to do. We got some work to do. And then what's he do? He brings them to the edge of the promised land. All right, Canaan, I'm going to give it to you. They send spies in the land. Oh, the spies come back, and, and oh, they're, I mean, they're, they're, the land is great. It's flowing with milk, and it's just as God had said it was. He did, not, he did not lie. It's just as he said, there's only one problem. The people that are there, they're like giants. And we're like, ee-wee, a little bit, how, how, what? 
We can't go in there. God's not going to fulfill that promise. He said he'd give us this land. And look, he didn't tell us about these. He didn't tell us about these obstacles. He didn't tell us about these giants. He didn't tell us about those. There is no, oh man, there's no way. We, we can't do it. And 10 of them began to grumble, look up, we can't go in there. Oh, we're going to die. Moses, what's wrong with you? We need to raise up somebody else and take us back to Egypt. Why? Because we'd rather trust in Egypt than God. There were two that said, no, come on, let's go. We can do it because God said we can. There were ten that said, no, we can't do that. Right? Moaning and complaining. Oh, we can't. But you know what? God was faithful to his promise. In Numbers chapter 14, God's a little upset. He begins to strike the people with pestilence and, you know, I mean, there's just problems. You know what I'm saying? And, and he says, you know what, Moses, I'm done with these people. They, I, am just, I have just had it. I'm going to destroy them. And you know what? I'll raise up a nation out of you to fulfill this promise. I'll raise up a nation out of you. And you know what Moses does? Moses doesn't go, yep, God, let's do it. Yeah, mm, mm, those people. No, he doesn't do that. He says, God, what will, what, will, what will they say that you couldn't fulfill your word? What will they say that you, didn't have, that you had the power to deliver them out of Egypt but not the power to fulfill your promise? And he begins to quote the promises of God. He begins to stand on the promises of God. And as he stands on the promises of God, yes, there were people that did not make it into the promised land. But it was not because God was not able to do what he had promised. It was because of their unbelief. Their unwillingness to trust the promises of God kept them in the wilderness and they died in the wilderness not inheriting the promise, not because God was not able, but because of their own unbelief. Because of their own unbelief. And what we see is, is that 40 years Later, there they are again with Joshua and the Israelites standing on the edge of the promised land. And this time God says, take courage, Joshua. Take courage, Joshua. Take courage. Will you trust me? I've got the power, the same power that I delivered out of Egypt. I have the same power to deliver you today, to deliver these enemies of yours into your hand. Because I'm going to bring about what I said I would do. It was not about the people. God was going to do it. They were disobedient. And even though they were disobedient, he allowed their descendants to continue and he fulfilled his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled his covenant promise. But again, those who failed to receive the promise did so because of unbelief. It was not because God failed to do what he had promised. Rather, it was their unbelief. So this is a nice picture of salvation, isn't it? That Jesus Christ was a promise of God. That God had promised that when sin had entered into the world and separated man from himself and that death had entered in the world, there was a promise that was made that there would be a Savior, there would be a Messiah who would come, there would be a Messiah who would come. He would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and Jesus Christ fulfilled that, not only dying on the cross, but being raised to life once again. And, and the Bible says that that is how salvation comes. That was a promise not made by us. Why? Because God demonstrates his love toward us in this that while we were yet what was that sinners who Christ did what 
died for us. Why? Because that was a promise that God made. And it wasn't conditional upon, uh, upon our goodness. It wasn't conditional upon our obeying the law. We couldn't do that. It wasn't conditional upon that. It's not conditional. It is an unconditional promise of God. That's what salvation is. Just like the Israelites being delivered out of captivity from Egypt and being given an inheritance, so you and I are made ch children of God because of what Jesus Christ has done, not by any works that we could boast but through Jesus Christ. But here's the parallel. John 1, 12, see if you get it. Yet to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God has made an unconditional promise to you of salvation. It's something that he did. The only thing that will keep you from being able to receive that promise is unbelief. It's unbelief. It's unbelief. Unbelief will hold you back from receiving the promised gift of salvation. It's unbelief. So there's the question. <laughs> Do you believe? Salvation through Jesus Christ, a promise that only God could fulfill, and he did fulfill. And will you take God's word? Will you take him at his word for salvation? Let's talk about conditional promises i got to speed up. Conditional promises. These are promises that are based on your obedience. These are not, this is not a salvation issue. I just said that's an unconditional promise. It's, about, it's simply about are you going to take God? Are you going to believe? But now we've got some things that, 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 are, that are conditional promises are based on our faith. Do we really believe? They, they really, these conditional promises really do act as a mirror to our faith. All right, Conditional promises are, okay, if you say you believe, prove it. Prove it by what you do. Prove it by your actions. Prove it by your obedience. It's not salvation, but it's a test. Do I really trust God? Do I really believe him? Conditional promises are if then. If you do this, then I will do this. If you do this, then I will do this. They are conditional. And the Bible is filled with conditional promises. And there are times when we are not receiving the promises of God because we are not believing and have been disobedient in what God has asked us to do. Therefore, we're not receiving what he has promised us. These are not automatically yours. There's a requirement. There's a circumstance. There's a condition that has to be met. An example, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and pure us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want forgiveness of sin. Well, do you confess your sin? I'm not talking about just like saying it. I'm talking about actually believing that you sinned. All right, that's a there's a difference. Oftentimes we want to place blame. It wasn't me. Well, I only did that because of. Well, I'm not that bad. Well, I, I don't have a sin problem. I, I, just, I just have a little weakness. I don't really want to call it sin. I just have a sickness. It's just a little thing. Pride will hold you back. If you confess your sin, he is, here, here's that word, faithful. When we talk about that, he's trustworthy. He is faithful. He is just. That is, he does what is right. He is holy. And he, he, he will forgive your sin, purify us from all unrighteousness. We've got to admit we're a sinner. We've got to own it. We've got to take responsibility for it. 
There are many conditional promises like this one. We're going to look at these through our series of conditional promises. Lastly, and I just want to get into this, God makes promises for two different reasons. One, and I already talked about in the conditional promises, to teach us to trust him. Conditional promises are there because they teach us how to trust God. They teach us how to trust him. Again, these 8,000 promises in Scripture teach us that we can trust him even when things are difficult, even when we have to wait. All of a sudden, it's out there, and we're, we're tested, and we're, we're tried. Do I trust the Lord? Psalm 119.50, when I'm hurting, I find comfort in your promises that lead to life. If you've ever been in a bad situation, how many of you know you, 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 you need the promises of God? In those moments, you need those to hang on to. They become a source of hope. The Living Bible, Psalm 119, 114. God, you, God, you're my refuge and my shield. Your promises are my only source of hope. You see, when we have the promises of God, they begin to teach us how to trust God. They begin to teach us how to wait on God. They begin to teach us that, okay, God, I know that your word says this, and I'm going to hang on no matter what, like the hymn writer of standing on the promises, whether I'm healed or not. I'm going to stand on your promises, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust what your word says. God gives us promises to help get us through the difficult times in life, the times when we're hurting, or it just looks like maybe he's not around. We hold on to the promises. We hold on to his promises. Secondly, God gives us promises to make us more like him, to make us more like him. Listen, the number one goal in your life is to make you more like Jesus. It's not always to make you happy, it's to make you holy. It's to make you more like Jesus. And he does that through the promises found in the Bible. I love this scripture. In 2 Peter 1.4, God made great and marvelous promises so that his nature would become part of us. His nature would become part of us. Notice that it says that the wonderful, great, marvelous promises, why were they given? What's the purpose? So that his nature would become part of us. You see, the more you trust in God's promises, the more it's going to change your life. You grow more like Jesus through his promises. As you begin to see God fulfill his promises, as you begin to see, man, God was faithful. Man, God was trustworthy here. God was trustworthy there. Oh, look what God did for me over here. Oh, man, I was, I was wrestling with this, but I hung on to the promises of God, and look how God fulfilled this in my life. Let me tell you something. When you begin to experience what it's like to hang on to the promises of God and God to fulfill what he said he would do, when you begin to test him and you take God at his word and you begin to see that he's trustworthy you begin to see that his character is right you begin to see that he's there that he does not lie and that he is there for you you are changed your faith is changed your faith is strengthened there have been things that we've gone through in our lives things early on pain struggles i am different because of that because i have seen god's faithfulness through it all and i have seen god exact his promises when he said he would i can begin to trust in his love I'll go as far as to say we can't become like Jesus without trusting in his promises. Because God works in, his life, in our lives through his promises. And the Bible is filled with many wonderful promises. God is trustworthy, friends. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. He is trustworthy. And he is powerful. He has the ability. He has the resources. He has what you need to be able to fulfill the promises that he makes. Some promises like salvation are unconditional. But there are other promises in his word where you need to say, 
Lord, I'm going to take that step of obedience. I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. I'm going to trust you in this because your word says that if I do, this is what will be the result. This is the promise. This is what comes. And so, Lord, I love you and I trust you. And I may not see it because that's called faith, but I'm going to hope in it because I know that your promises are sure. I know your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We begin to lean on God, and as we lean on God, we begin to be changed by God. We learn to trust Him and we become like Him. So here's the thing. Are you believing God for something? Are you believing the Lord for something? Is there something that He's requiring of you, a step of obedience that you're not taking? Is there a step of obedience that maybe the Lord has been prompting you, but you've been holding back, and you're not, you're not following, you're looking in his word, and you want the promise, but you're not willing to take the step of obedience? I want to ask you to search your heart. What's the step of obedience that you need to take first? Are you struggling to trust the Lord? Maybe you need to ask the Lord to help you with your unbelief. Friend, God has many precious promises that he wants to fulfill in our lives. The question is, are we ready to receive the promises of God? Are we ready to receive the promises of God? Let's bow our heads this morning. Friends, I talked about salvation earlier, an unconditional promise of God, one that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ through his, through his death on the cross, his shed blood, and his resurrection. That is a free gift. That is... That is a gift that God wants you to receive to set you free from sin, to set you free from death, the penalty of death, to set you free from guilt and shame, to set you free from that fear, and to, to bring that salvation to your life. But the question is, will you believe? Will you be able to receive his promise by saying, Jesus, I believe. I believe what your word says. Jesus, I believe in you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised Christ from the dead, the scripture says you shall be saved. Those who call upon the name of the Lord, then in, in Jesus' name there is salvation. Today are you here and you say, you know what, I want to receive that gift of salvation. I want to receive that promise of salvation. I want to receive that promise of forgiveness and you'd say today, I want to receive, I believe, I put my faith in Jesus today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I put my faith in Jesus today. I'm putting my faith in Jesus today. Thank you, I believe. I believe, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Secondly, you're here today, and you say, you know, I, there's some promises in God's word. I know they're there, but I'm really struggling with my faith. I'm struggling to trust him. I'm struggling in an area of obedience in my life. Pastor, I need prayer today. I need prayer today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand, Pastor? Will you pray? There's a step I need to take. Yeah, steps I need to take. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray right now. Let's just ask the Lord. Let's just, let's just make a statement today. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Whether you're trusting in the Lord for salvation or whether there's a step of obedience that the Lord is inviting you to take, that you've been unwilling to take, and you're just going to say today, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I want to pray, and I just ask you to pray with me today. If that's you, if that's what you would like today, I just invite you to pray with me today. 
Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I thank you today that you are trustworthy. I thank you today that you love me and that you died for me and that I can trust in your word. Today I confess that I trust you, Jesus. I ask you today to help me with my unbelief. I ask you today to forgive me of my sin. I ask you today to cleanse me. And I ask you today, Lord, to give me the courage to take the steps of faith that you're desiring for me to take. I choose today to believe in you. I choose today to take you at your word. I ask for your help today. I ask for you to teach me today how to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand today. If you've got something you're believing the Lord for, maybe there's something going on in your life and you just want somebody to partner with you in prayer today. The altars are open and I invite you to come. Maybe you just got to do business with God. Maybe there's something you've been wrestling with God about. You've just been struggling to trust him in an area somewhere along the line. Just things haven't been. And you just want to do some business with God. You want to come down here. You want to kneel down. You want to pray. Or maybe you've got a situation, a mountain, and you're like, I'm, tr I'm trying to trust the Lord. And I just want somebody to pray with me today. There, there's going to be folks here at the altar to pray with you today as we sing this last song. And let's just sing this last song as a statement of faith today. Jesus, we are just trusting in you. Jesus, we're trusting in you. Jesus, we're trusting in you. We're trusting in you. We're trusting in you. We're trusting in you because great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. Come on, let's lift the Lord up. If you want prayer, will you come today? Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.